Have you ever jumped into cold water? If your answer is no, do not worry. Most people will probably answer the same. But if you answer yes, then I'm pretty sure you might have heard some of the following. You're completely crazy. Why do you do it? I started jumping into cold water two years ago during winter, but it was just recently when this practice took a completely different meaning to me, when I realized that I like to do it not only because of the physical aspect, but because it is actually the way I think. It's a mindset. Then I figured that many people that have never physically jumped into cold water also had it, and it was just exciting. This is why I decided to do this podcast, to learn from people and their inspiring jumping into cold water experiences. Hope you're ready to breathe, jump, and repeat. This is Into Cold Water. Into Cold Water. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Into Cold Water. I'm your host Rodrigo Aviles and today I have a really special guest and I say special because we know each other from our studies back in Leipzig a couple of years ago already or some years ago now. So we were doing our masters at the same time at HHL which by the way big shout out to HHL we miss you guys. Hope you're listening. And at that time, unfortunately, we didn't have the chance to talk to each other that much, exchange some learnings. We were really focusing to different topics. But now is the time. And now I'm really happy to give a really warm welcome to Stel Sanga. So more than happy to have you here with us still. Thank you for having me here today. I'm quite excited too. And just right out of the bat still, where are you today? Because I know that you are all over the place. So where okay. are you now? <laughs> That's an excellent question. So I'm right now in Yaoundé in Cameroon. It's in my hometown. Uh, that was quite inex- uh, unexpected. I'm supposed to be in London because I'm, I work now for the, the London office of the, of the firm uh, where I work. And um, But I live in Berlin. So there is this constellation of places where I ought to be. <laughs> but um, where I am right now is not one of them. I'm in Yaoundé, close to my family. And what are you doing these days? Um, right now, I'm a strategy consultant. So I worked with companies and different organizations, uh, also non-profit and governments um, on strategy matters, especially on digital, digital transformation and everything that's linked to behavioral economics or to, let's say, a positive behavioral change at, a organizational, at an organizational scale. So I work for a consulting firm uh, in Berlin. I live in Berlin, but now I switch to the UK office while living in Berlin. Um, and I really love my job. I love my job because I work with extra smart people. We have very challenging matters. We work with the biggest organizations in the world on very, um, very important questions. That's what I do right now. But I must say, um, let's say my background did not really, if you had asked me five years ago, I wouldn't have told you that I would have landed here, even though I always plan uh, my life ahead um, as, a, as an algorithm. But let's come back to it later. So I was born 
And I grew up in Cameroon, the wonderful Western nation, Western African nation of Cameroon. Um, and I, I had like a normal childhood. I was from a, quite a poor family back in the days. Uh, but then I started skipping grades, not because I was extra smart, but because I was bored of school. Uh, so I finished high school quite young. I was 14. And then I went to university. I studied commerce. I wanted to become a writer. Uh, and my mom's reaction was, oh, okay, um, so you mean that you can create things and write stuff, but you know how to eat at some point. So if you think you're so creative, then study business and whatever you will create, you can live out of it. Back in the days, I thought, what a silly way of seeing things, but now I'm quite grateful. Um, not only because I could follow my passion in different aspects of my life, so the creating stuff, uh, but I can also have economic impact that truly changes lives at the end of the day here. So I studied commerce and I was on the side writing plays. I wrote my first musical, I was 12, and then the second, I was 16. And we had a big representation in, at the university back then. And my third musical, then doing my master's degree that I also did in Cameroon first. Uh, I started my own company. Um, I was younger and I wanted to change the world. Like I took really when my mom told me so seriously. I was like, I have a responsibility. I can't, I cannot just be reading and writing books. I have to, to, to like eradicate poverty. So I was working with my, my company was basically doing consulting for NGOs and also for creative um, companies and organizations to help them reach their goals, especially in poverty alleviation. I did it for some time while doing my master's, while writing some uh, musicals back in the day and the days. And then I realized that I might not know everything I need to know because I was quite um, I was quite confident. I thought this is, I'm a superhero. I can save the world if I want to. Uh, but I realized that I, I knew what was the problem back home here in Cameroon, but I wasn't really, or at least I understood parts of it, but I wasn't really, I didn't see the whole scope of potential solutions. So I needed to expand my horizons and see with how things are done in other places. And that's kind of like the first example of really jumping into extra cold water was to completely leave my country. Like before, of course, if you go at university and you're 14 years old, you're jumping into cold water. If you start your own company, you jump into cold water. If you have to, you write the whole play. It was a musical play. So I was writing the, like the dialogues, the songs, creating the choreographies and communicate. Like it, there, there, there's some challenge aspect to it, but it didn't feel like it. It didn't feel like I was doing something um, extraordinary because it just felt natural. But the first time I was like, okay, okay. Realizing, okay, I'm jumping into cold water. Was when, and I, I left Cameroon to study ab abroad, to learn more about solutions to actually alleviate poverty or to just improve uh, people's well-being back home or anywhere my skills are needed. And I went to Germany, country I did not speak the language. Uh, I learned the language. So also that's a, that's a very like jumping cold water kind of experience, learning new languages. And I learned six of them, six of them. So now I speak seven languages that I really, I love them like my children equally. Um, as, at least that's what your parents always say, that they love their children equally. Is that true? We don't know. <laughs> and 
Um, and like, and then I moved to Germany. I did my master's. I specialized in behavioral economics and development economics, even though I was doing a master's in management. And I was doing that be between Germany and China. And I was also doing a lot of things on the side because I was on board. I was doing some modeling. I was still writing musicals. And then I started my own company right after my master. And I was, I expanded my company of before. It was the same company, but doing more activities, especially infrastructure product, uh, projects between uh, China and Africa. So it was really always like the development goal, but the scope has gotten a bit more strategic. Um, and to finish to where I am today, like I had that company, um, I, it was really cool. I was traveling all over Africa, all over like I was in China and I was like making the bridge between the two continents because for me, China is a continent. Um, and then, and then I won a couple of competitions. I was doing a lot of competition when I was doing my master's. And when I won the last competition, I decided to join the consulting firm that organized it because I just fell in love with what they were doing. I was like, okay, so you guys, you're like doctors of organizations and countries and companies. You go there, you diagnose what they have as issues and you fix them and you get paid. Where do I sign? Sign. And <laughs> that's how we basically went. I joined uh, then the firm because I thought it's such a great opportunity to do what I love doing, solve problems at a strategic scale and with impact. So that's what I'm doing right now. Um, that's about like the step-by-step -step, uh, thing that led me to here. I still write musicals. My last one was the Forza on in 2019, was quite big. I have in Cameroon an NGO with orphans. We collect funds every year. And, uh, and last year, yeah, last year with the COVID situation, I also got more involved with Cameroon than I was with my consulting firm. But it's that kind of balance that I'm always looking for. I found this really cool still because coming from a from a world of consulting, which everything is about structure, uh, strategy, having this analytical thinking. Yeah. Uh, whereas in uh, when I assume when you when you're working on your musicals, for example, it's completely the opposite, isn't it? Yeah. It's much more wild. It's much more free thinking, pure creativity. You'll be surprised. You'll be, you'll be quite surprised, actually. And that's why I always try to tell people, like, in consulting, like you're in consulting, right? So you know how absorbing it can be. And some people, they have hobbies on the side. They used to have them, at least, before they started. And then they gave up on them. But most of the time, you realize if you can find the right balance, they feed each other in such a synergetic way. Like when I write a musical, of course, I want to be completely wild. I don't have a framework. I don't have the, I don't have like the big problem at a strategic level to solve and, and the pressure from different stakeholders that would sometimes livelihoods depend on the success of the project. It's a different kind of reflection at the beginning. But then, when you write a musical, like there, there is some, there is some, let's say, structure requirements to it to be able to tell a story in a certain way. And you know about it. We use a lot, like storylining when we when we communicate, and also actually really solving your character's problem because you are, you have this like godlike position when you can decide of the fate of characters that you created. So you birthed them, you give them life, and you're responsible for their destiny. You have to solve their problems in a way that makes sense for the person who is watching it. Because if it doesn't make sense, then you're not writing a compelling story. 
So you also have that requirement of, okay, I need to structure my story. I need to make it uh, interesting to watch, of course, but I also need to solve a problem, not only in the heart of the characters that you created and which you are responsible for, even if you kill them at some point, but also in the heart of people who are watching the musical because they are linking themselves their lives to what you're telling them. You're also responsible to bring value to them. And I'm sorry for using the, the consulting um, lingo in this, but it is that and, and you, start, you start really seeing the world with that lens of how can I be, bring value to every person that interacts with me so that their lives is a little bit better when I got in than when I was not there. No, and, and joke aside still from the consulting lingo, I think this question of how can I add value, it's definitely key and worth keeping in mind all the time. And not only in our jobs, because I think this is pretty much where we these days tend to listen or tend to hear this question. Yeah. How can you bring or how can you add value to your clients, to your customers and so on and so forth. But for me, this question definitely goes beyond the job spectrum. This question is easily translated into how can we add value to the people that surround us, to our communities, to our societies. And again, it doesn't have to be these huge uh, efforts or these huge movements that we do. I think it's just about with small efforts, how can we create big impact? And I want to use this as a segue to just briefly uh, explain how does the whole integral water concept came to life, because this is actually what I was trying to do when I when I thought about integral water for the first time, I was thinking, OK, what can I do with the means that I have to create some value, to add some value, first of all, uh, probably to my friends and family, to my closer circle then also to whoever it's out there listening to what I have to say, listening to what our, our really cool and inspiring guests will have to say. Um, and then this is how the, the whole idea was starting to take shape. And then after that, the next step was, okay, it sounds interesting. Now, how can we put this concept into more, uh, into smaller bites? And this is, actually where the framework of breathe, jump and repeat was born because uh, it is based on this easy to use, I would say, uh, framework going back to the consulting lingo, easy to use framework that people can just use on their daily lives to overcome any challenge, any situation that might stand in front of them. First of all, I absolutely love your framework. I know we talked about it before, uh, but now, like, it's, it's like the kind of things, like, I don't know if you've experienced that before. You listen to a song and it makes you feel a certain way. And then after a couple of months or so, you listen to the song again. And now with your experience on everything you lived, you feel a different way. And now after, I mean, I don't know when we last talked, but now that we talk about it and a bunch of things happened, things happened in the past weeks, I listen to the framework and it, it like it touches different strings in my heart. And I just say, want to say, okay, first of all, I really love the framework. It's really well thought. Um, and how I perceive the framework, first of all, with answer your question in mind, breathing is like you preparing your, yourself for something and 
you said, okay, breathe, jump, repeat. Okay. And it's three steps that I've unconsciously experienced and I realized require different skills and mindset. And it's really that diversity that cannot come from a single set of experiences. When you talk about breathing, it's preparing yourself with, first of all, confidence that whatever happened, first of all, will bring you something. So it's worth it. You're considering your options, as we say. You can either decide not to after the breathing. You're like, okay, I, I, I took a breath. It was cool. And I'm stopping right here because considering my options, I have something better to do than jump. But then you can consider with confidence, okay, what is it that I want to get out of this experience? Um, and also in preparation, which belongs to everything I've done, like there was, there was always a certain level of, of preparation or breathing before. It is where you get really aligned with what, who you want to be. Do I want to be this unilateral, like mono, unidimensional person that only does that? Or am I not like more than the sum of all the parts of things that I love being? And with that step that I'm taking right now, not disrupt my balance, but just kind of enrich who I am. So when I write a musical, it's not something that I see as an, an endeavor that will, let's say, shake my balance, but it belongs to something that I already am. It, to make it in other terms, a musical comes to you. It sounds a bit esoteric. I'm sorry about it. But you're sitting down and maybe you're in front of an Excel file or you're programming something and you get an idea. And that idea urges to come to life. It doesn't give you the choice that, oh, I can be sitting on your mind for a couple more years or you can do something out of it. I'll take an example. I'm just staying at the brief part, the preparation part. One of the greatest things I've done, I'm the proudest in my life because I'm, I'm, I, I, it's hard for me to get pride in what I do because I'm aware of every other factors that contributed to that happening, like people, like timing, and I'm not 100% responsible for my successes. But this thing is last year with the COVID situation, I decided to go back to Cameroon for a couple more months. I took a hiatus for my work and to start a mask factory uh, there with 350 people right, working uh, with us, almost 4 million masks that we produced uh, for schools. And that breathing part for me was a very emotional part because it's the part where I realized that it's not, it's not an option that comes to me. It's something like a musical urging me to be realized. I was sitting here and I was, Rodrigo, I was scared for my country. I was scared for my parents. My two parents got COVID. And then I thought, oh my, okay, I've never seen my dad sick before. Um, I was in Germany, it was first lockdown. I was panicking. And it didn't come as in, oh, okay, you could start this thing, but it would disrupt your 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 balance. Or you can make a new equilibrium out of all the things that make you feel alive. Out of all the things that require from you to come to life. So the musical came to me like, okay, there is this story that needs to be told. Back then, my last musical was, was talking also kind of, low-key about gender equality and I wanted to tell that story so I had to find balance I didn't I didn't feel like I had a choice when my parents got sick and I realized that I was really scared about Cameroon I was really scared about developing countries and how they're going to face the crisis and new lockdowns measures were not going to be possible so I had to find a solution like an affordable solution to protect my people 
It didn't come as something that I would trade my balance for. It came, it came as something that was requiring me to find a new balance. So, and then I decided, okay, I'm taking a deep breath. I started working on both things at the same time. So I was a consultant. And then I, I, I also started that, that factory in Cameroon with my friends and with my family. And that's where I realized, for example, that it did work together. And I had to make some change because otherwise I didn't have, I'm a human being. So this is how I find balance. Balance is not the goal, but it is, let's say, an adjustment that I constantly make to make sure the goals are reached. Sometimes I find myself in imbalance, in complete chaos. Like when I was working uh, as a consultant at the same time running the master factory, it was exhausting. It was not fulfilling. I was not like a human being, but more like um, an achievement machine. But from those periods of periods of chaos, you let's say you slowly find balance again. There is no point where you're like, oh, balance found. That's it. I can die anytime. It's, it's constantly a movement of disruption. And then let's find balance again and take a deep breath. And when I know it's going to be okay, I have the confidence. I will find my balance. I jump. And I will add to your to your sentence still. I jump and I keep moving forward. And for me, this is also really, really important to always keep moving forward. No matter what happened, no matter what's in front of you, always keep moving forward. There should be no other way but just to keep moving forward. And also one thing that I like to take from what you just said is this balance in chaos, which is also somehow linked to this aspect of moving forward because the way that I see it is even though there is there will be chaos in front of us because for sure this is pretty much uh, a, a law i will say there will always be chaotic situations in front of us there will always be these huge walls these huge challenges in front of us but again i think the the it's not a formula but the the way or the the mindset we should have in this situation is first of all again keep moving and try to find a balance. And there's a really nice quote from Albert Einstein, which uh, combines one of the two of the things that I that I really feel passionate about. One is, again, moving forward. The second thing is bicycles. And the quote says, life is like riding a bicycle. In order to keep balance, you have to keep moving forward. I don't know if I said it with the exact same words, but it goes in that direction. And what I like about this really simple sentence, again, it's the core of the message that in order to keep us balanced in life, we just have to move on. We just have to move on and keep going straight. And probably along the same, along the way, there will be some twirls and curves, but again, always keep moving forward. Another thing you said still that I would like to bring now is the part of um, finding confidence or having the confidence, because again, this is tied back to the same idea. And when I think about confidence, the second thing that comes to my mind is emotions. We are emotional human beings. We cannot untie the emotional aspect of what we do what we think or how we how we do things or how we react to things we are emotional period so 
having the confidence and or having the confidence of knowing that things could go in very different directions but we know that we are going to be able to go through this at some point and after we go through this learn so much and be so much more and well prepared for the next round that is really something to keep in mind it's important I and mean, it's crucial Rodrigo what are we are we are we not supposed to be robots we're building robots so they can take care of the aspects that make us a bit less humans and we have to accept that we have to be like like this new cult of rationality is a delusion and it's an illusion also because it is good to put in place tools to be more rational in the way we make decisions but most of the, the let's say the choice the decisions that truly change the world and shape the world as it is right now were highly grounded in emotion because emotion is it's what drives us to do things that nobody else would do it's a it's courage like when you think about if i sit down let's say i want to be a mother in the future, which is a choice that I make and people can make a different choice and that's okay. If I sit down and I write down pros and cons in a rational manner, I will realize quite fast that this is a very poor endeavor. <laughs> this is a very costly endeavor. Um, or I want to invest myself in a loving relationship. I can decide to look at the statistics and be like, oh, most relationships actually fail. And I can be like, okay, why would I try? Or I can decide also to trust something, what we call gut feeling, that somehow it's not really completely emotionally based. It's also built on experience. Um, but emotion is what really gives color to our life. We don't want to be in a life where everything is square. Emotion, it's the, like, it's the root of art, is the root of love, which is the most beautiful thing. And it's the root of courage, which is, as you said, one thing that's really needed to, you have these two options, you weigh them, you're like, okay, this is quite tricky. There is risk attached to it, higher risk, and even uncertainty attached to it. And there's this other thing that is safe. But the humanity hasn't moved forward on safe grounds, has moved on bold grounds and shaky grounds for most of the time. So let's embrace emotion. Not too much, but <laughs> let's embrace it. Let's embrace emotions. Love the call to action still. <laughs> Um, do you have any trigger or any spark that fires this courage in you? I think it's, it's many things. So for everybody, it's, it's many things. But deeply, and it will sound like a broken record because I'm sure many people say the same thing or phrase it differently but mean the same thing. Um, it's a deep sense of purpose. And what I mean by that is not just the, like, knowing you have a goal in life because when what i mean with purpose is not the full understanding of your role on this small piece of it's this small round thing that floats in the universe it is it's not just that sometimes even you can have a purpose a very strong one but cannot pinpoint exactly what it is but you wake up with that burning desire to make sense out of your existence to make use of what you have and but for me purpose is also rooted in other aspects the first one is gratitude i'm not sure you can have a very strong sense of purpose if you're not grateful 
for what you already, if you don't recognize what you already have and not take it for granted. You're like, okay, I have a purpose, like a goal in life and, and something I can achieve and something I can contribute to because I have my two arms, my two hands, my two legs, my two eyes, my brain working, love surrounding me. And if you have as a basic ground um, to, to build upon, then you can decide, okay, these are the things that I get for granted, I, I, I get for free, and I have to do something out of it. I cannot stay in bed all day. Um, I'm going to tell you a, a small anecdote, really quick, Rodrigo, is I one of the reasons why I came back to Cameroon is not only because of the sun um, and of my family who brings like, the emotional sun in my life, but I have a, a cousin uh, whose mom passed away two weeks ago. He's an adorable young man. Um, he's 19 years old and he has bone cancer. 19 year, years old. Uh, so it started and then he had to lose an arm to it. So the arm was removed, amputated. And then the like the hand the hand first and then the it progressed further and he lost the whole arm. So you have this young boy, 19 year old, full of life, full of love. Like he's a, he's a kind hearted person who lost an arm to cancer, lost a mom two weeks ago to HIV. And um, he's still full of life and his cancer is still progressing. And here I am healthy. My mom is healthy. My family is healthy. I can write with both of my hands, but I can tell you if we count the number of hours of dance, he dances way more and way more often than I do. He plays football. He offers smiles to people on a daily, probably more often than I do. And I think what makes him wake up and decide to dance, to play football and to smile with people, it is deep sense of purpose that even with one arm, if I have just one arm left, I'm going to use it to make somebody's life better. And that's what I mean with purpose. I don't, I don't think if you ask him, what's your purpose? He'd be like, oh, precisely to eradicate. I don't know. <laughs> he probably doesn't have that conscious understanding of it. But when I come to visit him with that one arm, he carries my bag. When he sees me, it's also a very African thing. When you greet one person coming from abroad or from elsewhere, you come and you help him carry. I have two of them and he carries my bag. And that's what, I mean, before I knew he had cancer and everything, I was exercising gratitude because I was I was lucky enough to be born to quite poor family that progressively went out of poverty, but we're still quite surrounded by poverty. So having that constant understanding that we are, we have like this shared destiny with people around us and everything we have is not to be taken for granted. That whenever an idea comes to me, like for a musical, and I say, okay, this is a story I can tell, so I can give somebody a smile. People can come for one hour and a half, laugh with me, sing with me, forget their problems, learn something, then it's worth doing. And I love doing that. Too. I mean, to be honest, there's a lot of pleasure to it as well. So, so I would say it's a deep sense of purpose. First of all, I have to say still, thank you so much for sharing this really inspiring anecdote from your cousin. And I say this because you talked about uh, having a sense of purpose. You talked about the gratitude and, and never take for granted everything that we have. And I would also like to add 
And I would also like to add attitude to this equation because attitude is definitely one of those tools that will help us, as we were saying before, keep moving forward regardless of what we are living at any specific time. And I think the best example is, again, your cousin's story because uh, being or living through this moment in his life and then he being able <clears throat> through to dance to smile to everybody to lend a hand to be supportive i think that's just a really good example on how regardless again of the situation you're in you can always choose which attitude do i want to have which side do i want to take and also like what you say is is really also powerful in this, and that's why I also really like the, the, the framework. Like even the simple little things matter. And in the framework, starting with, with brief, and you have to gather your courage, gather your confidence, and gather a sense of purpose onto as, as in why you're doing what you're doing. And for me, confidence, for example, is not believing that you're the best and that you're amazing, but believe that you're better than zero, that you have something. And you, your presence in the world is bringing something. And if every day, I mean, it doesn't have to be something big, like jumping into cold water doesn't have to be minus 10 degrees. Um, it doesn't have something to, to be like building musicals or traveling around the world to, to have this kind of superhero complex fulfilled. It just has to be okay. If today, going to bed, I have the sensation, I have done no harm. I have given the little thing I have, like a smile, as you said, like listen to a friend, taking care of myself too, then I've done something good. And that helps you jump. That makes you realize that if you know, okay, first of all, I'm better than just zero because everybody's better than zero. I have something, I have, I, there is something I can contribute into somebody's life, even my own life, and I can do it. I have the courage to do it then jump, do that musical, write that thing. And if you, you, you feel scared, you're like, oh my God, will I find the balance with everything I have to do? If I have to travel, if I have then you have to trust the process and be like, the balance is going to be, as you said, with the Einstein metaphor of cycling. As I will cycle, I will find it. Some days I will be overwhelmed. Some days I will be depressed. I'll be crying in my bed, wondering why me? But on the next day, hopefully I wake up and decide to do a little thing. That makes me feel better. Exactly. And just also following up with the cycling analogy. So some days you will fall like trying to learn while trying to learn how to ride a bike. And that is OK. It's part of the process. But then also at some point you will be able to win the race. So what I'm trying to say over here is that we should not be afraid of the times of all the times we might fall while learning how to ride a bike again using the analogy. But it, but it is also funny, I don't know what you think, Stel, but I, I think it's also funny how society try to push us in a slightly different direction by not sometimes accepting that these negative emotions are okay to feel, are okay to express. It is okay to say, okay, I feel scared, I'm afraid to take the next step. I think society right now tends to reject those kind of 
uh, emotions in a way and then sometimes go more towards the showing okay this is how success look like and within success there is no such thing as fear and just to close this idea for me fear is one of the main ingredients of what will take you out of your comfort zone and as we know nothing major happens within our comfort zone absolutely and we have to realize and you're right about like this culture right now of constantly seeking let's say positive emotions and running away from negative ones even though emotions emotions are just information there is no just just thing as a negative emotion or positive emotion it is information your brain is just trying to give you information about your external environment and your internal let's say status and it is what you do out of that information that really matters at the end of the day fear tells you this is a new situation you don't know yet what to do and you can decide i want to learn what to do Or you can decide to run away. It's like what our amygdala is there for. Like that small organ, that small gland in our brain tells you fight or flight response. But there is a reason why it is here. We cannot decide to eliminate fear out of our life because it's not pleasurable. We have an or like our brain has already thought about it for us and be like, okay, you know what? I'm going to be putting a small organ somewhere to make sure whenever you have fear coming up, you have options. And that's something that we forget sometimes when you are in front of fear is that we do have options because there is this kind of hijack happening. And it's also, I think it's even called the amygdala hijack that your, your, your brain is literally flooded with hormones telling you, bing, 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 caution, caution. You cannot build upon your past knowledge to deal with the situation. You need new knowledge. This is what fear tells you. It doesn't tell you, you're going to die or it just tells you okay right now in the in the in the um, in our database we don't have what it is let's intuitive to deal with this find something new and we have to encourage people to see fear as precisely that as an opportunity to build resilience to build character and to build new tools I, I want, I mean, I want the dialogue around this, what we call negative emotions to, to be, to be shifted towards more like it's the action based and reaction based, um, understanding. And that's what in the, like, I think the second step after, um, after breathing is jumping. So it's acting for me, jumping, first of all, to breathe, like breathing, there is a kind of unconscious aspect to it. Like we naturally breathe, we stop breathing, we're dead. So breathing, It's really like you should naturally be, be able to think, to prepare, to gather your courage in it. That's, that's supposed to be natural. When it comes to jumping, you have to act. You have to decide. You have to face. You have to bargain with your emotion. And that's something that, in my opinion, you always learn from. You cannot, you cannot lose in, in, that, in that deal. <laughs> so jumping is also about uncertainty, isn't it? Um, so how do you manage uncertainty? Do you have any recent experiences still in which you have faced such a situation? Last year I wrote, I wanted to write a book 
on uh, Africa for children. And I did it. I wrote the book. It's not, I mean, it's not perfect yet. I want to make another edition of it, but I jumped into cold water um, because I saw this really big gap of, and I think many people saw it too, this gap of uh, knowledge that people and Africans, unfortunately, also have about their own history. And it is important, history, knowledge, geography, whatever, but just understanding, okay, this is where I come from. This is why it is the way it is. And it is interesting. And it is nice. And I thought maybe for the adults, it's not, it's not too late for adults, of course, but children, like, if you open their minds and their, their, their heart to Africa, then you're building a lifetime of curiosity. And, um, and let's say the returns of investments are... <laughs> Are way higher. So I want to to write, and I wrote a children's book on on Africa. I published it last year, but I remember I've never doubted myself so much as in when I was writing that book. And let me remind you that my public was children. But I was always I was always wondering are they going to like it? Are they going to hate it? And they have thousands of other books. I mean, if they don't like it, they're just putting down and they write another book. They will never sit down and write a long, mean comment to me on Instagram saying your book was shitty. And a shitty book doesn't doesn't really kill somebody. Even if the book was shitty, even if the book wasn't good. I mean, it was good at the end, but even if what was what was the I was so scared of, but I was scared. Uh, I was first thinking, okay, what's the age range is going to be? And I was like, oh my God, at this age, they're always quite critical about literature. Ugh. So I was doubtful the whole process. I was doubtful. I was picking stories that I think they would like. I was very self-conscious about how they would perceive even me as an adult that hasn't been in all of these countries I was talking about. I was afraid I was going to be judged by them, but I have forgotten. What I had forgotten, and I, I need to remind myself of that sometimes when I'm procrastinating, because that's my biggest flaw of procrastination. When I, what I have forgotten is the incremental value of just doing it, comparing to not doing it at, at all. Even if your goal is 100, if you don't do it, it's going to be zero. If you do it, shit, say it's going to be two. But two is better than zero. A book about Africa that is told in a way I believe was useful to children was better than none. And back in the days, I mean, if I had if I had been such a great friend to myself, if I could travel in the past and talk to myself, I would be like, Estelle, do your best, okay? You cannot do more than your best. The days when you're too tired to work or too stressed or too um, self-conscious, take a deep breath, de 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 go back to step one. Take a deep breath, try again, do your best. And that helps me a lot. I mean, learning from that, you, you may also think, okay, writing a book for children, it is so far away from doing consulting. But, but those kind of self-management, self-leadership skills that you learn on, in an artistic endeavor, you can transport it to your professional life. When i in front of something, a situation when I believe, oh, is the partner going to like my slide? Are the, are the clients going to, to like my solution? I think back, there was a time I was even more scared of children, of children readers, or what they're going to be thinking about my drawing or anything than I was of a 45-year-old 
I don't know, client, which is super smart. And, and I just think at that moment, okay, you know what? Give what you have to offer. If it's not enough, you will learn from it and get better. But not doing anything is not an option. Completely with you, Stella. This, what you're saying about not doing anything is not an option and the doing versus not doing. It's critical because how many times in our lives, in our personal lives and also in our jobs or in our, whenever we want to do something new, a new project, we just think about, okay, what will people think about me? Uh, am I going to be criticized? Am I going to be pointed out? And this most of the times can literally stop us from doing something new, from discovering things that might take us into really exciting and interesting paths, isn't it? Uh, I've experienced it myself, to be honest, when I started this project back uh, yeah, a couple of months ago, all these ideas were running constantly through my mind up to the point when I was about not to do it. I had already everything set up. So the, the uh, let's say the name was there, the, the concept was there, the website was there, everything was already there. And then I was just thinking, okay, is it Is it, gonna, is it gonna work out? Is people gonna like it? Is people not gonna like it? What are they gonna think about me? And so on and so forth. So a lot of the ideas were just rushing through my head. And then one day I said, fuck it, I'm just gonna go out and do it. And it was really liberating, <laughs> really liberating and, and quite exciting also to be here and being able to do this. Um, so going back to your point still, I, I really like this doing versus not doing. And for me, the message here before jumping into our next uh, topic is never ever let what others think about you or your work stop you from doing it. Never. So always, yes, keep feedback and appreciate feedback and use it to improve whatever you're doing, but never ever stop. As we said at the beginning, always keep moving forward. Now, after saying all this still, I want to ask you from all these experiences you've had in these different uh, projects and your career in your personal life, what are the main learnings that you have accumulated and that you can just take out from your toolbox of learnings? Um, it, there are quite a lot of them uh, because I always learn. I try to, I try to, I try to crystallize my learnings from time to time, and and write them down so I don't forget them when I go back into that situation. That's the worst because you can, you can even the listeners they might listen to that podcast but be like, whoa, okay, cool, and then it's more like trying to let's say retrieve back those learnings when needed and when your brain is completely hijacked by fear or by um, frustration and they, they don't come back to your mind. So I would say if I can pick maybe five core learnings um, in the past years, the first thing is I will ask people to make time, organize and cultivate self-knowledge and self-improvement. I in my experience like in my i've done that quite far in life because i was so obsessed with my accomplishment what i bring out there like okay what can i do what can i give what can i achieve that i didn't really make time and consider okay who am i right now how can i 
be nicer to myself? What is my relationship to myself? And this is, I think for me, it's the more important because this, you are the single person with whom you spend the most time. You cannot run away from yourself. So cultivating that relationship with yourself and that self, let's say, feedback and having really like a dedicated time and space for you to look into your heart, look into who you are, is really core. Um, I think people will listen to that podcast. If they come to the podcast, it means that they're very uh, ambitious. They want to achieve something out there. They want to make their, their life meaningful for, for the world. And that's, that's glorious. They should just not forget themselves in the process because otherwise, I mean, unhappy people do not build happy worlds. You just cannot do it. So really asking yourself, what is it? And I would put the term happy journey. I know happy is controversial because it, like, it, it tells a lot of things that need to be defined as well. But it is like, I, I would suggest also a book called The Happiness Advantage, where you start with the happiness or you start with yourself. It doesn't have to be joy because happiness and joy for me are quite different. But you start with being grounded with who you are and taking care of yourself first. That's the first thing. I've learned it and I'm still learning it the hardest possible way. Um, the second thing, and I think it's just like a consequence from, from being, let's say, grounded in, in sync with yourself, is you don't have to be the best, but try to do your best. If you're the best by doing your best, oh, that's amazing. I know how amazing it says. I went to every competition with the, let's say, the... Um, that's at least inspiration to win the competition. So it is human to want to be the best. But comparison is not a very, a very, a very wise teacher. It's not a very wise teacher. Because to be honest, there is no two Rodrigo's. There is no two Estelle. It's just that one. It's just that one with the... Um, with the, the, the background that you have, with the dreams that you have, with the fears that you have, with the preference that you have. So... Really trying to be better than any somebody else is not really an, a, a crazy a smart investment of, of your time. Uh, at least not at 100%. can be your 10% motivator, and I don't judge that. But try doing your best. What does that mean? It doesn't mean sacrificing point one, which is your well-being. It means, okay, what is my best right now that I have a hangover as I do right now? What is my best right now as my cousin is sick, as my mom is sick, as I don't feel okay today? Or what is my best right now that I'm in love with somebody who doesn't text me back and I'm checking my phone every three minutes? So it also doing your best also means being patient and loving towards yourself, but also pushing yourself to always say, okay, one is better than zero. But some days zero is also okay. Do your best. That's the second. The third learning that I think is quite important for me is also linked to the, to the second part is that what I mean with doing your best entails trying to improve every single day so that your best of tomorrow is greater than your best of yesterday. And it doesn't have to be at the professional level because as I was trying, at least, and I hope that's the understanding that listeners will have, will have, like 
you are a multidimensional person and that's beautiful. You are a job, you are a, a, a loved one, you are an artist. Like everybody's an artist. Everybody has some artistic skill. Maybe they don't work on it, but everybody has it. Has it. So the third one is actually trying to always grow, like look for growth opportunities. Uh, because I don't want to be doing your best, meaning just coasting and being in your mouth. Like, okay, this is the best I can do. Try to just do the incremental, like the incremental contribution that you can do today compared to, to, to yesterday. But like, try to always grow. Like, and something that's important here, and then I take in part the, the fourth, the fourth aspect is linked to to failure. I know this is also a broken record. Everybody says it, but it is so true. Failures are the best possible schools. Look at your failure, failure. And I have a process. I have developed a process whenever I see a failure. I'm not. I don't agree with people who say, "Okay, there is no such thing as a failure. Everything is a school." There, there are failures. Okay, failures exist. They happen. So, what is a failure? In my definition, is you have a goal that you set yourself, and you don't reach that goal. You fail. Whether it's your fault or somebody else's fault, it's a fail. But as I said before, there is no such thing as a positive or negative one. It's just information. Better is an information. So you have to develop a process that works for you. I have a process that works for me. Whenever I perceive something as a failure, as a gap between my expected outcome and the outcome that happened, is I do a retrospective. I ask myself, what can I connect? I, and I'm good to myself. I'm really nice to myself. I'm like, okay, Estelle, it is okay. You failed. I do it with respect to see what went wrong and what I can learn from it. And that's the broken record part. There are things as, as failures, embrace them. Embrace them, learn from them, and capitalize on them. Uh, the fifth learning, and I, I really, my list is not exhaustive. I'm literally winging it as I go. Um, it's not exhaustive, and I and I and I send you more notes if something else comes to my mind. But like this, for me, the most important, the fourth first thing that I said about caring about yourself, what is important for you, also means, of course, making time for family and everything. Family is important, but really, the first thing is really yourself, and the three other parts. The fifth thing that I that I want to to tell people, and I hope that when they leave, when they finish listening to the podcast, they they will leave with it. Is that it's a it's a kind of a prayer. It's called the serenity prayer, um, and it's quite known. Like in any any language, there is a serenity prayer, and it basically says you don't have to be a Christian or anything to believe that, but it basically says, "Lord, give me the courage to do things I can control, to accept things I cannot control, and uh, so no the peace to accept things I can control, and." the the wisdom to distinguish both and i don't want people to perceive the serenity prayer as a kind of a, like a deterministic thing of being like oh well i cannot control this what a shame then i have to accept it and i have to work on things that i can control there's not a way of seeing this of course things that you can't control you're wasting your time energy and mental health bothering yourself with it it is the truth you can't control other people's behavior. You can't control the weather. So if you're going to be pissed about the weather, you're going to have a hard time because things are set such as to have to give you winter every single year. You cannot escape it. 
I mean, I can say that I'm in Cameroon. So if you want to fight winter, it's going to be a lifelong fight. But this is how I perceive it. I don't perceive it as a depressive deterministic of, oh, damn, why? Okay, okay, fine. I accept it, but more like, isn't that beautiful that there are things I can't control? Isn't that amazing that I can take a break from every single variable of the equation of life and just take care of my small part and just stick with it? Aren't they like the most beautiful things come as a surprise? You fall in love. You don't control it, structurize in a way that the person in front of you fits into the boxes and henceforth you fall in love. You see that person, it strikes you and that's it. And then you you dip into it. And all you can do is to pray the person is not a psychopath and, <laughs> and put you in your sleep and just embrace the beautiful things that come with you. And that's how I want people they can take that one thing from these things to be able to do and be like, okay, this is what I can control. And fine, I will do my best. I'll be kind to myself and I will learn if I fail when I control it. This is what I cannot control. And I will not only accept it, but I will embrace it because that's the beauty of life. And the beauty of everything you just said still is that we all can just take learnings from what you just said, take those learnings from your, I will dare to call it even still this golden mental toolbox full of learnings. Thank you so much still for sharing those with all of us. I just want to quickly uh, go through them again. I mean, ask people to make time, do your best, improve every single day. I think this is just so important. Every single day, do 1% more. And then at the end of the day, we're going to be able to look back and add all those 1% increase of us trying to be a best version of ourselves. And then we're going to see the difference. Failure is the best school. Totally. Uh, this has been one of the constant among the people that we've talked to here in the podcast. And I'm also completely with it. So failure is one of the best schools. As we were talking before about falling from the bike, that's the only way we're going to learn how to ride the bike and then win the race by failing, by falling. Also, this one, the last one, I really love it. Accept what you can control and also what you cannot control. And this, I will add one more ingredient to this piece, which is humility. Because the moment that we realize that we are not the masters of the universe, the almighty and powerful human beings that we can control every single thing around us, then it's when we are going to find peace with ourselves. So, yes, accept what you can control and also what you cannot control. Still, unfortunately, we've reached the end of this episode. But first, I want to thank you again so much for sharing all this inspiration, all these insights, all your anecdotes that will definitely, I'm pretty sure, make a difference in our lives. <laughs> you already just got me thinking on so many things. So again, thank you so much, Stel. Thank you, Rodrigo. That was amazing. Totally our pleasure, Stel. And to all of our listeners, please do give us a feedback. We want to hear from you. Go into our website, intocoldwater.com. Go into our Instagram profile, intocoldwater.podcast and follow us. Um, give us also your feedback. We will really appreciate it. 
and last but not least give us a rate on your favorite podcast platform so we can grow the community further thank you so much everyone again thank you so much still and see you next time adios Bye -bye. into cold water